Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. And joining me today on the show, we have Kevin Bowen from Kevin's Corner, 107.5 The Fan in Indy. And Kevin, you're a busy man covering Colts camp, covering the Pacers and the playoffs and the bubble down in Orlando, and you just had a newborn baby. So you got a lot going on, taking time to be with us. We appreciate that, and congratulations on becoming a father. Thank you. Yeah, I will I will relay that to my wife. She deserves all the congrats uh, for what she had to go through. But, <laughs> yeah, it's been um, just finally we are here at this point to where the NFL and the NBA is, is giving us a little action, and we'll hopefully Major League Baseball can hold on as well. So, been fun juggling that here the past uh, few weeks. Yeah, especially after going five months without sports, now to have the NBA playoffs back, the NHL playoffs back, Major League Baseball in their 60-game season, and football right around the corner of the Colts, just 23 days away from kicking off in Jacksonville against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Padded practices started this week, full pads Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, off day Thursday, and they'll get back at it later today. So, Kev, let's start off with what you've seen through the first three days of padded practices, and let's start off with the new signal caller in Indianapolis, Philip Rivers coming over from the Los Angeles Chargers, 38 years old. The Colts put up a couple of clips. We haven't seen too much. It's not like a normal year in terms of videos and what we would normally see in a regular training camp. But we've seen a couple of clips, one where he threw a ball out into the boundary. It was a wobbly pass, got knocked away by Bobby Okariki, which is great for Okariki and the defense he was able to play on the boundary. But the ball wobbled out there to the boundary. People were a little bit concerned. And then also we had tweets saying from you and other reporters that he was picked off on a deep ball by George Odom. So what have you seen up until this point? in terms of calming down the masses, because you know how Twitter is. Phillip Rivers throws an interception. Everybody freaks out in training camp. Oh, he threw 21 picks last year. He's done. He's 38 years old. His arm is a noodle, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that's all we've heard over the last day and a half. But through three days of training camp up until this point, how have you evaluated the arm strength of Phillip Rivers? Yeah, you know, before I answer that, Luke, I, I will preface it by saying I've watched three days of training camp, which I'm very thankful and grateful that it's three days of training camp and not zero. And But I just want to make sure that, like, this is what I've seen so far and not to take these grand conclusions from, you know, whatever, three days in full pads. So, you know, as far as arm strength, there really hasn't been a whole lot of attempting balls down the field from him. You know, we I think you saw the Odom interception. Um, I can think of a deep crosser to Paris Campbell, which was right on the money uh, that Campbell actually dropped. I can think of kind of one to Hilton on day one. But outside of that, I don't think anything has been really even attempted much further than probably 10 or 15 yards down the field. Uh, Very high completion percentage all three days. A heavy involvement with the running backs and tight ends. I would say – when we have laid out the pros and cons, as I sure you have and I have, you know, over the course of the offseason with Rivers, that's what I've seen through the first three days. The pros are it's a quick rhythm. He has a great handle of this offense, it seems like. He does not lock in on reads for very long. Um, he's decisive, you know, just things that obviously the Colts didn't get out of the quarterback position last year. And then, you know, probably the biggest con being – there is a bit of hero ball. Uh, I think Stephen Holder tweeted earlier in the week, kind of the, the old YOLO ball that, you know, he has thrown, I can go you know, two specifically, honestly, both the interceptions 
uh, one by Tavon Wilson, one by George Odom. Uh, both of those balls probably should not have been thrown. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say after three days, it's kind of what I've expected. I want to see more. I want to see Hilton healthy for a couple of days and that in the offense. Certainly you want to see them open it up a little bit as well. Uh, but so far, pretty much what I would expect out of Rivers. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the quickness going through the progressions, and that was a huge issue last year with this offense, Jacoby's inability to go through his reads, go through his progressions. Would you say through just three days of training camp, that's the biggest difference from the 2019 offense to the early part of training camp of the 2020 offense and the biggest difference between Phillip Rivers and Jacoby Reset, the ability to go through the progressions quickly and get the ball off fast. Easily. Yeah, easily the biggest difference. And, and maybe it is kind of obvious because then you watch Jacoby play quarterback right after Phillips does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you he's know, still because here. Because then it goes to second team. So, yeah, so you kind of see those two differences. You know, one thing that I think we fall into the trap with Rivers, what I talked about on my podcast earlier in the week, he has such an ugly motion that I feel like we always think he's in panic mode when he goes to like his second or third read. Because, again, the motion is really weird, and he can't run. So when he starts to kind of maneuver in the pocket or come off his first read and go to his second or go to his third read, and, you know, he, he ends up dumping it down or whatever, it looks awkward. It looks panicky. And the more I watch him, I'm like, that's just him. That's exactly. Fake. Yeah, it, it's, not like, it's not like super panic mode. It's a guy that I think knows full well where the reads are, where the checkdowns are. He knows he's not the most physically gifted guy, or certainly not physically gifted at all, honestly, mm-hmm. when it comes to you know making plays with his feet and whatnot. Um, so I guess that's another observation that I've had now that I see him you know, day after day and just more up close. Yeah, when you talk about the ugly throwing motion, it's funny because that's one of the things people say they see a wobbly pass out to the boundary and they talk about, oh, the throwing motion's so ugly. It was ugly in 2007 when he kicked our ass in the playoffs. So it's been ugly for 20 years. <laughs> right. oh, yeah. It's not going to get pretty anytime soon. It'll only get uglier as he gets closer and closer to 40. But that doesn't mean he can't get the job done. And people bring up the 20 picks last year, and he is a rest taker. He's going to take rest. Like you said, he threw two passes that he probably shouldn't have thrown. Hopefully we could coach that out as hard as it is to teach old dogs new tricks. Hopefully we could coach that out of him going into the season, especially with our ability to run the football and with this offensive line. But he's a risk taker, and that's why he has damn near 200 career interceptions. He's always going to be a risk taker. He's always going to throw picks. But you look back at 2016, threw 20 interceptions, next year bounced back and had a much better season. So it's not out of the realm of possibility like people think where this guy had 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, and now he's 37 years old last year and he throws 20 for the first time. This is a guy who's done it a couple times in his career and has bounced back from it. And Frank Reich's made it clear, like, I want my quarterback to take some chances. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he said that, and, and obviously he knows full well what he's getting in the rivers. I would say something that I am mindful of and I'm curious about is just the personnel he has at the receiver position. It's not Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. You know, T.Y. Hilton is a really good receiver in his own right, but he's not a guy that just, you know, climbs the ladder and wins a bunch of 50-50 balls. That's just not Hilton's game, really. So – Rivers benefited from that last season and has really in a lot of his years in San Diego or L.A. So I think that's something that I am interested in of, you know, can you hit the deep ball when it is the ball is in the air, you know, for a large percentage of time? Pascal isn't 6'5 or 6'4, and and Campbell and Hilton definitely aren't that either. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as well. I do think with him at quarterback, you have a better chance to create big plays 
in the yards after catch part of the game. For sure. You know, something that I mentioned earlier, one of the few kind of deep-ish balls we've seen him throw so far was the crosser yesterday to Campbell, which Campbell dropped. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that was a perfectly, perfectly placed ball. And, I mean, it was one of those balls where if you are able to catch it in stride, which it was in stride, I mean, Paris Campbell isn't stopping anytime soon. So I think those, his timing, his understanding of the offense, knowing full well that he's got to give his guys chances to make those sorts of plays, I think you'll, you, you'll see that a little bit more than you did last season from, um, from Jacoby. Exactly, because not every 50-yard pass is 50 yards in the air dropping it on a dime into a breadbasket. You have a lot of 5-yard, 10-yard, 15-yard slants that could turn into 40, 50, 60, 70-plus yard gains and touchdowns. And this offense totally lacked that last year. There's only two big passing plays I can remember off the top of my head. I'm thinking end of the Oakland game, Eric Ebron, garbage time touchdown meant absolutely nothing. Ebron dropped three big passes in the first half, pads the stats in the second half, and then the first drive of the Tampa game, a 50- or 49-yard touchdown to Marcus Johnson. That was a bomb in the the entire time, but we just didn't see enough of it last year. The fact that I can remember the two games, the two plays off the top of my head, and we only had three 100-plus-yard receiving games last year from our wide receivers and tight ends. One was Marcus Johnson in that Tampa game. Most of those yards, half those yards, coming on that first touchdown drive on the bomb. And then two games from Zach Pascal. No games for T.Y. Hillen. No games for Paris Campbell. No games for the tight ends. So that is an area the Colts definitely need to see improvement on this year. I believe we will see improvement on. And let's shift over to the wide receiver position now. You mentioned T.Y. is not the normal, prototypical San Diego, Los Angeles charger receiver that Phillip Rivers is used to. Michael Pittman Jr. fits that mold a little bit better. Zach Pascal fits that mold a little bit better. But up until this point, what have you seen chemistry-wise from Phillip Rivers and T.Y. Hillen? I saw you tweeting about their connection. I think you said earlier in the show that they hooked up three or four times early in the first day of padded practices on Monday. How is the timing and the chemistry between T.Y. Hillen and Phillip Rivers? Yeah, you know, we didn't see Hilton practice maintenance day on Tuesday, I want to say. Um, but Monday, I mean, I want to say three of the first four passes were completed to Hilton. It was timing and rhythm. Uh, I thought Frank Wright did a really nice job describing it after practice. Of, you know, like I said, not a ton of work for those two in the offseason not the normal body type he's used to. But at the end of the day, they are two incredibly instinctual players that have a tremendous football IQ, and they understand timing and they understand spacing. And so I think just inherently they're going to know how each other is kind of feeling over the course of the play, and and that will allow them to be on the same page more often than not. So, um, yeah, several completions to Hilton. Um, A couple down the field, nothing crazy deep. Um, you know, more kind of underneath stuff and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, it's it's vitally important to get the T.Y. Hilton back to being the Pro Bowl caliber T.Y. Hilton and not just uh, he's kind of a number one receiver T.Y. Hilton. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that is a big storyline uh, here as you enter this season as well. Yep, as we're talking to Kevin Bowen from 107.5 The Fan in Indy, host of 
the Kevin's Corner podcast, a great podcast covering the Colts and covering the Pacers as the Pacers fall down two games to none in the first round against the Miami Heat. And the Colts now three days into their 14 padded practices before week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. No preseason this year, so we have to get all the work in now. We have to knock out all the kinks as the Colts kick off in just 23 days in this bizarre COVID-19 restricted offseason. Kev, we've been hearing great things about second-year wide receiver Paris Campbell. Last year, really struggled to just stay on the field, was battling a hamstring throughout training camp, then went into the season, had four different injuries last year, had three surgeries, only played seven games. So I have a huge concern, and a lot of people throughout the course of the offseason, they forgot about Paris Campbell. We have all these new guys come in, Phillip Rivers coming in, Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor, DeForest Buckner. I feel like a couple of guys who might not have lived up to their billing last year have kind of fallen now and have fell under the radar. I think Paris Campbell is one of those guys. Nobody's really been talking about him. Now he goes into camp starting to show out. I'm still concerned, can he stay healthy? If he can stay healthy, I think the ceiling is very, very high for Paris Campbell and what he brings to the table in terms of speed and separation. But what has stood out to you now through three days at training camp for Paris Campbell? And what have you seen out of him this year that you might not have seen out of Paris Campbell last year in training camp besides just physically being on the field and being available for practice? Yeah, I mean, just an unbelievable ability to separate in short areas of the field. That stands out to me right away, Luke. And you forget about it because – like you said, he had all the injuries last year. I mean, he didn't, he didn't practice in August. I don't think certainly not in front of us. And I mean, that was three weeks of training camp. He got hurt in the fourth day of training camp and, and then didn't practice at all. And, and, you know, he played in that preseason finale, to get him on the field a little bit. So um, he had a tough day yesterday, an outstanding day on Tuesday. Yesterday, muffed a couple punts and then had that drop. Um, but just a, a, an unbelievable day really on, on Tuesday in that, he just has a different gear than anybody else on the field. And I wrote it when Rivers was signed. I think him and Naeem Hines will benefit immensely from having Phillip Rivers a quarterback because he's so cognizant of, okay, I need to get these guys the ball in space. I need to let them make the plays, you know, post, post catch, like we've been talking about. So um, I, I think that's a very, you know, understanding item of Rivers game. That's a big part of the crossers and those things we just didn't see enough of last year. So the Colts remain extremely high on Campbell. Health is the elephant in the room, as you said. Uh, But, you know, even hearing Frank Wright compare earlier this week, I can see where Michael Pittman's at mentally and I can see where Paris Campbell's at mentally. It's a big difference because it's one year in the system versus none. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just another reminder of, why the Colts drafted Campbell of this is a guy that you don't have to take a lot of risk and get into football and yet he can create some big plays with the ball in his hands. Do you see the Colts keeping five or six wideouts? I see the Colts keeping probably six. You know, you got the extra number of fullback. I think you only keep three tight ends. Uh, that's a good debate, though, because Marcus mm-hmm. Johnson hasn't practiced yet. Well, what about uh, Knicks for, with the fullback position? You see it's guaranteed they keep Knicks? There's no question about that? They're definitely carrying a fullback? No, I, I wouldn't say there's no question, but he helps you out on special teams, mm-hmm. which is such a big part of it. So that can, that, you know, 
I just don't know if there's a fourth tight end, really. Now, Mo Cox hasn't practiced yet. It's on the pup list. So, yep. you know, Ian, Ian Bunting is kind of a name to watch at tight end. Um, but I, I think right now, like, if you're going to go out and sign a fullback, I mean, aren't you going to use it? Like, I, I don't know. Do you all of a sudden just have a change of mind? It's not like you practices are that physical where you've watched Roosevelt Knicks and you're just like, oh, yeah, he can't block very well. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not like that level yet. So um, I think there is room to keep six wideouts. Uh, you know, Reese Fountain obviously is, is the big name. No preseason games just kills his cause because he hasn't done anything in game action. Yep. Um, or really even preseason games. But Chad Williams is a name that I mentioned in my notebook yesterday that we shouldn't forget about. He's on the practice squad for a while last year. Ashton Doolin helps you out on special teams. I'd probably like Desmond Patman on the practice squad. Let him kind of groom a little bit. So, you know, Doolin, Fountain, if Johnson, if and when he gets healthy, he's your most proven guy out of that group. Um, so that might help his cause this year as well. So um, I think they will keep six, but – it is probably a luxury number, and that guy's got to help you out on special teams. Yeah, I totally agree with your logic. That's the same train of thought I was pretty much going with. You sign a fullback, you most likely have a future plan of using that fullback in some capacity in your offense. And last year, it looked like Reich wanted to use a fullback. You're putting Quinn Nelson back there. You're using him as a lead blocker in goal line situations. You don't want to hurt your all-pro, all-world, generational, Hall of Fame caliber talent left guard in a situation where you have them in as fullback because, God forbid, something were to happen, it'd be tough to live that down. That'd be a tough pill to swallow if Quinn Nelson gets hurt playing fullback where you're doing something out of the ordinary. So if Frank Reich really had a bug, he really had an itch to use a fullback, and they sign Roosevelt next. I'm not surprised. I was just wondering if it was a lock or not, in your opinion. And my train of thought is exactly pretty much what you were thinking. If you're going to sign a fullback, you're most likely going to carry a fullback. You're most likely going to use a fullback. I also agree that it takes away from the tight end position. I think we carry six wide receivers, three tight ends, and then four running backs. Now, Phillip Rivers loves tight ends. Frank Reich loves tight ends. If they do want to carry a fourth tight end, then I think it would probably mean Jordan Wilkins' spot. But Wilkins is so good for a fourth running back. He's averaging damn near six yards per carry. I think he's averaging 5.8 yards per carry over the last two years. He's our fourth string running back at the moment. So I think that will be interesting to see what they do there. But right now I would agree that Roosevelt Knicks is safe and let's just say for argument's sake the Colts do carry six wide receivers I think with six wide receivers Marcus Johnson would be safe as the fifth wide receiver on the depth chart because like you said with the experience and last year his tape was better than the numbers because his ability to create separation did not reflect in the numbers due to the quarterback position and like we said earlier in the show Jacoby's inability to go through his reads and progression, scan the field, and get the ball off quick. So let's say Marcus Johnson is the fifth wide receiver. Obviously, T.Y., Pittman, Paris, Pascal, all four of those guys are locks. Let's give the fifth spot to Marcus Johnson. For that sixth spot right now, I was going back and forth between Patman and Fallon. I didn't give Doolin or Chad Williams a chance. But you think because the special teams – contributions 
those two guys have an equal or greater chance than Patman and Fallon. How do you see that six wide receiver spot shaping up? Yeah, you know, it's all going to come down to kind of flavor of the month because mm-hmm. I don't see teams claiming Reese Fountain or Desmond Patton. You know, it's just, I don't expect a whole lot of claims this year. And, you know, Reese Fountain's regular season tape, it's, you know, it, it, how can you claim them? You know, it's oh, yeah. such a shot in the dark. So I think you can protect them on your practice squad. So I think it'll come down to what you want. You know, I, I did Johnson and Doolin, I think, on my 53-man roster projection earlier in the week. I looked at it as the most proven guy, Johnson and the most special teams guy, Doolin, because your six wideout doesn't play. Yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't get wide receiver snaps. Um, then you put Fountain and, you know, Patman on your practice squad or maybe Chad Williams on there as well. Um, so that that's kind of how I look at it right now. Yeah, but then you have Naheem Hines taking snaps away, playing the slot, and they're going to move him all around the field. So yet another guy taking snaps away from wide receivers. So if you're the sixth wide receiver on the depth chart, you normally don't play. Now, on top of that, you're really not going to play because you also have a running back who Phillip Rivers is going to love to throw to because he fits that Darren Sproles, Eckler kind of Phillip Rivers favorite type of running back mold. So we're going to see Naheem Hines lining up all over the field. Another guy, the ultimate flex to take snaps away from the back-end receivers of this depth chart. And let's pray to God we don't have the same amount of injuries we had last year at the wide receiver position again this year as we're talking to Kevin Bowen, 107.5 The Fan and the host of Kevin's Corner, a great cult podcast. If you guys haven't checked it out, you got to go check it out. And, Kev, how about the two rookies offensively coming in Drafted in the second round of the 2020 draft, Michael Pittman Jr. at 34, Jonathan Taylor at 42. Both rookies getting first-team snaps this week in their first week of padded practices in Colts camp. We've heard a lot of great things about these two rookies. What have you seen from Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor in their first week of Colts camp? Yeah, you know, Marlon Mack's still the starter, and he gets the majority of the first-team reps, which is to be expected for multiple reasons. You're three days into camp. He rushed for 1,100 yards last year, all that stuff. Um, You know, Jonathan Taylor, what he did on Tuesday was eye-popping. The big playability is why they drafted him. You know, it was to ignite this offense. It was to create more of eight yards turns into 80 yards or, you know, four yards turns into 40, like those sorts of plays that Taylor can do with the 4-3 speed, and we saw that on Tuesday. So, um, again, early on, I don't, like, look at the rep count and play count and make a whole lot out of it uh, just three days into things. I have noticed Matt touching the football a little bit more out of the backfield. I think that just comes down to Rivers. <laughs> he just loves, loves to involve running backs. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Matt's had a nice start to camp. Taylor's had the eye-popping day. He had one drop that I've noticed. You know, there's some questions about him in the receiving department. I hadn't, I hadn't noticed pretty good hands up until that point. Um, and you know, defensive guys are ripping at that ball because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that is the one knock on him on that resume that he's certainly going to have to expect here from opposing defenses early in the year. Yeah, the one carry I saw for Jonathan Taylor, Kev, the Colts put it up on their Twitter page. It was the big highlight run. He ran through this gaping wide hole, ran over Tavon Wilson in the secondary. Everybody's hooting and hollering. But as I watched that play, I cared less about running over Tavon Wilson in the secondary and more about 
the emphasis on ball security, the one major knock besides a heavy workload at Wisconsin for Jonathan Taylor was the fact that he fumbled 18 times in either 41 or 42 games. So to see Tom Rathman immediately coach that into him, that we do not fumble the ball here in Indianapolis, and you see Jonathan Taylor going through that gaping wide hole and running over Tavon Wilson while securing the football with two hands. You look at Marlon Mack and the season he had last year, the 1,100 yards was great, but what I love the most about Marlon Mack in 2019 was zero fumbles. Late in the game, you can hand Marlon Mack the ball 10, 15, 20 times, and you don't have to worry about him putting the ball on the floor. Was that something that I just happened to notice in the one clip of Jonathan Taylor that I saw, or did you notice a trend that Taylor put an emphasis, a major emphasis on ball security throughout the course of the three days, especially the live 11-on-11 drills where Jonathan Taylor was getting first-team reps. Yeah, and that's Rathman's demo, like you said. I want to say the number was like something crazy. It's like nearly 500 touches Colts running backs had last year, and they had one fumble. Yep. Um, that was Wilkins. And so, you know, it, it, it is pretty impressive what they do from a ball security standpoint. And, you know, I know a lot of people look at Taylor and like, well, he carried it so much at Wisconsin. And I, and I took a little deeper dive into the numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he pretty much – I'm in front of me, but let's say he fumbled one out every 50th touch. I think it's right around there. The average for the top five runners in the NFL last year was like fumbling one every 90th touch. So, I mean, it is a notable number. Um, and, again, you know NFL teams are going to – John Taylor's going to get hit a lot more often than he got hit at Wisconsin. Like, <laughs> that's just life in the NFL and not having Wisconsin's dominance of an offensive line playing, you know, Indiana or insert whatever. Yes, you play some good defenses in the Big Ten, but you also play some pretty bad defenses mm-hmm. and some non-conference teams as well. So, um, you know, I, I've noticed the emphasis for sure, but until you, you know, get full padded live tackling, you have no idea how it'll exactly look. You talked about Matt getting the starting snaps and Jonathan Taylor getting the split carries. And I think we'll see that all year. And Matt has definitely deserved the right to start, especially just because of the ball security, like we talked about. Taylor's coming off, even though the number might not be as bad when you start to look at per carry opposed to per game because he carried the ball just so many times at Wisconsin. But he's coming in a little bit of a fumbling issue. Matt, absolutely no fumbling issue over the last few years for the Colts, especially last year, zero fumbles. Could you see, however, a 2006 scenario where Dominic Rhodes was the 16-game starter, made every start in the regular season, a die, though, had more carries, and then going into the playoffs, if this team were to go that far, a die then became the starter for the playoff run. Could you see a similar scenario playing out where Matt gets all the starts, but Jonathan Taylor seems to account for more carries? You know, both guys are healthy. It's a, it's a great question, and, and it's a predicament that I brought up as well. If both guys are healthy for 16 games, I still think Mac out carries him. But, you know, there is just a little bit of a higher ceiling with Taylor. That's unquestioned. And it's just how much do you want to tap into that? How much faith do you have in him? How much confidence? How much does a lack of a preseason, a lack of a spring hurt Taylor? You know, all of those factors. So, you know, the thing about Adai was he was such a great catcher of the ball out of the backfield. And so that really helped him get on the field early on. You know, is that going to be Taylor? Where does Hines fall into the mix? So, 
you know, I'd be slightly surprised. Would it stun me and be the wildest thing I've ever seen? No. But if you're going to tell me both guys are healthy, man, I mean, unless Mac really struggles, I'm, you know, he did rush for 1,100 yards. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to totally eliminate that. Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair logic. Up until this point, Marlon Mack has done nothing to lose that job. He was 10th in the league last year in rushing, didn't fumble the football. And I know we keep saying that, and I keep saying I've said it like 10 times now, but you really can't say that enough. When you carry the ball 200-plus times like Marlon Mack did last year, and you fumble the ball, not lost fumbles, just fumbling, period. When you fumble the ball zero times, when you have a three-point lead or a six-point lead late in the ball game, and the Colts played so many one-possession games last year, and you want to run out the clock, and you want to just hand the ball, hand the ball, hand the ball, and not have to worry about fumbling it, you hand the ball to Marlon Mack. So I would agree. I think your logic is very fair because the higher ceiling in two, three, four years from now, who's going to be an all-pro? It's probably going to be Jonathan Taylor. So the higher ceiling, the greater upside is Taylor. But with the weird offseason and with the way Marlon Mack's played over the last couple of years, minus the injuries, I would have a tough time seeing a healthy Mac get out carried by a healthy rookie Jonathan Taylor. Unless Taylor comes in and he's Wisconsin good. If he starts putting up Wisconsin numbers minus the fumbles right off the bat, then I could definitely see him having more carries. Or it could be a game-by-game thing and the hottest hand gets the workload that given week. And then one of the biggest questions, a lot of positivity, upgrade at the quarterback position. We didn't talk about the tight ends, but I believe an upgrade at the tight end position with Burton coming in, losing Ebron, upgrade at the wide receiver position, running back position with Taylor. But the O-line, we lose some of the depth. We lose Joe Haig. We lose Josh Andrews. I think Smith was battling a foot injury this week. LaRaven Clark plays a little right tackle for Smith while he nurses that injury. What have you seen out of the second team guys, LaRaven Clark playing with the starters, and then that second unit O-line in practice? And are you at all concerned with the depth of the offensive line? Yeah, I'd say it's probably my biggest offensive concern. Um, LaRaven Clark has been in the lineup for Braden Smith. And, and again, until you get truly live and, and, you know, players are able to finish sacks and whatnot, you know, guys just kind of, if they get a shot at Rivers, you know, you can barely even touch them. You just kind of run by them and you don't finish the play and then the play still goes on. So it's hard to truly evaluate the offensive line. But, but yeah, I mean, none of those guys played an offensive snap in the NFL last year. And I'm talking about all the backups. So, um, you know, Danny Pittner's going to be a guard, it looks like, at least early on. So, I mean, he's not helping you out at tackle. The clerks had a couple nice days in one-on-ones. But, I mean, still, there is a just – you're going to have to give more help to Raven Clark than you would Braden Smith. And it looks like Smith should be back, I think, relatively soon. Um, but that is my biggest worry. And, again, it's it just – for me in training camp, it's a little difficult to evaluate the offensive line just because it isn't fully live. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the lack of preseason games, all of that. You know, the Colts aren't as worried about it as I am, which is a bit surprising to me just considering how much they care about the offensive line mm-hmm. and their depth. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that, you know, will be tested. I mean, the offensive line health you had last year was an anomaly. Uh-huh. They know that, but still the resources we saw into that group, uh, kind of scarce compared to what I, you know, obviously what is into their starting lineup. Yep. If this was a video game and you could turn off injuries, we'd have all the confidence in the world in this <laughs> offensive line. And I love the fact 
that all five guys started all 16 games last year, but to bank on that happening a second year in a row and getting 32 consecutive starts out of five guys, plus those five finished, what, the last eight, nine, ten games? After Anthony Costanzo came back against the Jets, we didn't have many misses. I think maybe Kelly missed a start at the end of 2018. He was a little bit banged up against the Chiefs, I remember. But we would be asking for over two and a half years of damn near perfect health on the offensive line, which is asking for a lot especially this oh, year man. going into it with the virus and everything. We really don't know what the future holds. Beyond unheard of. And, and again, the Colts know that. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wrote an article earlier in the year. I think Kansas City – I took Kansas City and San Francisco. I was like, all right, let's look at the two Super Bowl teams. Mm-hmm. I think they needed their backups to start – I want to say it was like 16 games for one team and 18 games for the other over the course of the year. And that's across all five spots. So, I mean, that just goes to show you, I mean, 16 games and 18 games, I mean, that's that's a significant amount, um, you know, of the 80, you know, total starts that you could have across those five spots. So, um, I think the Colts have to be prepared for that. Like you said, you've even been fortunate back to 2018. So, uh, we'll see how the health cooperates up front. Yep, and people keep saying about the wide receiver position, we can't be as injured as last year. We can't be as injured as last year. And it's like, yeah, but you have to be intellectually consistent. The wide receiver position probably can't be as hurt as last year, but there's other position groups like the O-line that could easily, it just takes one missed start by one guy to be more injured than they were last year. But Kevin, I really appreciate you taking time. Busy man working with the Colts camp and covering the Pacers. Kev, really appreciate you giving us the time. Thanks, Luke. Always enjoy hopping on with you, man. Thank you. That's Kevin Bowen of 107.5 The Fan and the host of Kevin's Corner. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, and this is the For the Culture Podcast.